0: All right, Salt City, welcome. Good to see you guys. Good to be here. Um, It's a throwback for me being back at graduate, and I was just thinking as we were worshiping together about all the work that God has done in the life of our church since we started here a little over a year and a half ago. And I'm excited to hear from God's word with you this morning and see him continue to do the amazing things that he's already done. I think in studying this text this week, I was challenged personally. And what I mean by that is I was challenged to think in categories about the Christian life that I'm not accustomed to thinking in. And I think normally as Christians, we kind of put things into a couple different categories of things that are right and of things that are wrong. And so we say, hey, we want to do things that are right and we want to avoid things that are wrong. But I think this text is going to challenge us to think about a third category. You could call it your conscience, or you could call it your preferences. And what we're going to actually see is that this third category is really important to our thinking and to our behavior as Christians. Let me give you an example of a time where I totally screwed this up one time to get us started, okay? So I remember being at A Bible study with a bunch of people. I was in my early 20s, and we were just sharing life updates and sharing about what was going on in our lives. And there was a person in our group who was very much a dog lover. Okay? And this is gonna be shocking to you, but at that point in my life, I wasn't. Okay? And so this person was sharing about how much they loved their dog, how awesome it was, and all that sort of thing. And I thought it would be fun to share in that group a dissenting opinion. And so I shared about how I didn't really like dogs. And it was one of those moments where the entire group turned against me. Like, you know how you are, dog lovers. Like This is like insulting your child, right? And I learned in that moment that I had crossed the line. And what was interesting, I'm not, I don't think I'm overstating this, that conversation changed my relationship fundamentally with some people in that group. They saw me differently, maybe I saw them differently. But I learned after that group that we have the opportunity as we share our preferences that are neither about what's right or wrong, that it's in that category that we have the opportunity to show our love for people or to damage the people around us. And God calls us to show love for people. So here's how we're gonna state sort of the big idea this morning. It's that a truly free Christian is not in bondage to their own freedom. Truly free Christian is not in bondage to their own freedom. In other words, as Christians, We are bound to the law of love. We are to use this third category of preferences or our conscience to lay down our own rights, our own preferences, our own agenda, and to show love for other people. So we're looking at three truths about true freedom in the Christian life. So the first truth we're looking at is that true freedom is found in the gospel alone. So in Acts chapter 21, we're looking at verses 17 through 20 to start. And in the historical context, the Apostle Paul is just returning from his third and final missionary journey and back in Jerusalem. Here's what the text says. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly, On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. Okay, so what we have immediately is we have this interaction between the Apostle Paul and James. James was the half-brother of Jesus, And he was the leader of the Jerusalem church. And they have this meeting together because they haven't seen each other for a long period of time. And they relate to one another what God has done through their ministry. And so Paul first shares about how God is doing this amazing work among Gentiles. He's going into these cities, going to people who have never heard the gospel message before. He's sharing about the free grace of Jesus And people by the thousands are believing in Jesus. And James says, wow, that is so amazing that God is at work among the Gentiles. Let me share about what God has been doing among the Jews since you left. And James is like, we've been sharing the gospel. We've been doing ministry among the Jews. And people who had once rejected the Messiah, who were maybe even part of that mob that yelled, crucify him, crucify him, and had rejected Jesus... By the thousands, Jews have believed in Jesus. And so what Paul and James agree on is that whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, the pathway into the kingdom of God and into true freedom is the same. It is through the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. Paul, in the text talks about God's work. In other words, the gospel message is about free grace. It's not about our works. It's not about what we bring to the table. It's not about how good we are. It's not about our religious performance. But it is about what Jesus Christ alone has done. In his obedience to God the Father as he walked on the earth as a human being, it's about his substitutionary death on the cross for us in our place, for our sin, and on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished, which means there's nothing that you can add to the gospel, and there's nothing that you can subtract from the gospel, and it's about Jesus rising from death and giving us the Holy Spirit, so that by his grace, we are able to walk into this path of freedom. And then James says, it's about believing that. It's simply about placing your faith in Jesus. It's about transferring your trust from yourself into Jesus. It's about letting down your guard, allowing God to soften your heart, allowing him to be at work in your life, to stop fighting against him, and instead, it is about surrendering to him. So here's the issue that that brings up. So that's awesome news. That's good news. There is absolute freedom in Christ. We're not made right before God by our works. But here's the problem that that introduces. Freedom introduces the possibility of conflict. When you have freedom... You can either choose to use that freedom to love other people, or you can use that freedom to elevate your preferences in an effort to justify yourself. So here's what's possible as a Christian you can believe in Jesus for your justification and trust Him for your eternal salvation, but be operating on a daily basis. Like you are justified by your preferences. Like you are justified by your favorite sports team. Or you are justified by your love for animals or that you don't love animals. You're justified by your choice of job or career. Okay, let me illustrate this for you quickly. Sometimes we go out to eat as a family, and things like this have happened, roughly, right? So I love my kids, and so occasionally when we go out to eat, I say, you can order anything you want off the menu. And usually it's sort of limited to the kids' menu. So there's like a hamburger, a hot dog, or a piece of pizza, right? And so I love all of my kids equally, and because I love them, and my love for them is not conditioned on which food item they choose, obviously, right? And so they each get to pick. And they're like, okay, hot dog, hot dog, pizza, hamburger, whatever. They all order something a little bit different. And they get it. And at that point, they have a choice about how to use their preference. So here's what has happened before in that moment. I'm just glad I got the pizza Because the pizza's huge, way bigger than the hamburger. And then somebody gets mad, right? Somebody's like, I don't like the hot dog. Hot dog is small and the bun is big. And so here's the thing. The freedom that I gave them to choose whatever they wanted to choose introduced the opportunity For a conflict to happen, they could either use their preference as an opportunity to love and serve one another. Hey, would you like some of my pizza? Hey, how about you cut your hot dog in half, I cut my pizza in half, and we go splitsies on this. Or they can use it as an opportunity to crush each other. Guys, as Christians, we believe the best news ever. That we are justified by faith in Jesus alone. The question is how are we doing using that freedom in relationship to each other? Okay, so here's the question that we're going to be answering for the remainder of the sermon How should we live? Specifically, in light of our freedom. And the second truth about true freedom that's introduced by the text is that true freedom is expressed in joyful obedience to God's moral law. So in other words, we have this category of preferences, but we don't get to pick and choose from God's moral law. We are obligated to keep the law. Okay, look, we're starting in verse 20, kind of the second half of this, picking up the story there. It says, They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Okay, so James and Paul are continuing this conversation. And what's really happening here is two cultures are colliding. Paul has been on this missionary journey and he has dropped the ceremonial law as a practice from his life. In other words, Paul's eating pork. It's a simple way of saying it. And James... Ministering in a Jewish context is ministering to people who, although they have believed in Jesus, they are continuing to obey the ceremonial law. Not because they believe that it justifies them any longer, but as a matter of cultural preference and their own tradition. In other words, they like attending the temple. They like obeying the food laws. They have a preference for the foods that they grew up eating and for the traditions that they grew up participating in. And so Paul rolls into Jerusalem, and he has a reputation. And his reputation is that he doesn't care about the law, that he teaches people That the law is no longer important. And James is concerned that there is going to be a significant division in the church if Paul doesn't clear this up. And so what James says is, hey Paul, will you shave your head and participate in this certain kind of vow so that the whole Jerusalem church will know that you care about the law? Which is interesting because James recounts what the Jerusalem Council, a few chapters earlier, had agreed on, which is that the Gentiles, who Paul is ministering to, are not obligated to keep the ceremonial law. So here's what's going on. Paul and James are both in agreement that the ceremonial law would be put in the category of conscience or preference, not obligation. But they would also be in agreement that as Christians, we are obligated to keep God's moral law. So we believe that Jesus came and that he fulfilled the demands Of God's moral law, and that He also made the ceremonies that are present in the Old Testament obsolete. So, everybody's in agreement here by the Spirit, through faith in Jesus, Jews and Gentiles alike are two. Observe the moral law. Let's dig a little bit deeper into that, and I want to show you how Paul puts this in Romans chapter 7, perhaps the greatest letter that he ever wrote. So, Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, these verses will be on the screen. Here's how Paul describes our relationship as Christians, whether Jew or Gentile, to God's moral law. He says, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, For I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. So you see what Paul does here. He uses this analogy of marriage and death to illustrate our relationship as Christians to God's moral law. And so you can imagine that someone is married to a person who is very harsh with them, very judgmental towards them. And that person has incredibly high standards. And that person is always nagging them and telling them what they're doing that's wrong. He's saying, if that person were to die, their spouse would no longer be under their authority, would no longer be obligated to keep the rules associated to that relationship. But, If that person died, they would be free to marry somebody else. And let's say that second spouse that they married was very loving and accommodating and kind and gracious. He's saying, there's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is the law is tough as nails. Because we are sinners, the law exposes our flaws. And Jesus is gracious and kind and compassionate. So when Jesus died, he fulfilled the law in your place. And see, so you are no longer under the law. In other words, the law no longer condemns you. Instead, you are married to Jesus Christ. So then the question is, okay, then do we keep the law or do we not keep the law? And Paul's answer and James' answer alike is the same. When you are in love with someone, it is your joy to keep the rules associated with your relationship with them. So, yes, as Christians, we keep the law, but it's out of a completely different motivation than before we were Christians. Because God has written his law on our hearts. He's put his spirit within us. So because of this relational closeness that we have with Jesus, we want to obey the Ten Commandments. We don't want to kill anybody. We don't want to steal. We don't want to commit adultery. We want to obey God in every single facet of our life because we want to live to please the one who died in our place for our sins. So Paul and James are both in agreement with that. And they want to show everyone who is under their ministry that they take the law of God seriously. Which is why Paul is willing to go to great extent to prove to the Jewish people that he is in fact a lover of God. Which brings us really to our second Application. This is the one that's a little bit surprising to us, specifically as individualistic Americans who love our freedom. And that's this it's that true freedom is expressed in humble cultural engagement, it's not just expressed. In joyful obedience to God's moral law. That's not the only category we're to think in as Christians. But if we are to be mature, we think about engaging people who are different than us, who have different preferences than us. So look how Paul responds to James' encouragement. Then Paul took them in, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented. For each one of them. So here's the interesting thing. James' suggestion to Paul is you should start keeping the ceremonial law of God again. Because you're in Jerusalem and it would mean a lot to your brothers and sisters in Christ who have a preference and feel restricted in their conscience To keep the ceremonial law. Would you consider doing that? Not out of obligation, but out of love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you do that? And here's what Paul says. Not, Jesus has set me free. I can do whatever I want. How dare you put extra restrictions on me? No. Paul says, okay. I'll do it. So he gets a goofy-looking haircut, he starts obeying the ceremonial law, not because he's obligated to or because it's his preference, but in order to love and to serve those around him. So I began to think, how does this apply to our own individual lives? What are preferences in our lives that we have elevated to the place of being rights? Things that we are unwilling to let go of because we're actually trying to justify ourselves by our preferences and by our freedoms rather than believing That Jesus alone brings us the freedom that we long for. Okay, let me ask you a few questions. How do you think about alcohol? In Christ, we have the freedom as Christians to drink alcohol. We don't have the freedom to get drunk, but we do have the freedom to drink alcohol. But when was the last time you thought, when you were around someone, I wonder how I can love and serve this person who I'm eating this meal with by the way I treat alcohol. There's two possibilities, right? One is that you would not drink in order to serve that person and love that person who is sitting across from you because they have a negative perception of alcohol. Maybe it's somebody in this room. And instead, you've been like, no, I've got freedom in Christ, so, I'm gonna drink what I wanna drink when I wanna drink it. At least that's your attitude. Or maybe you're sitting across from your coworker and you have been a person who has made this vow I will never drink because drinking is sinful and dirty and wrong, and I would never do that. And you need to grow in Christ. You need to think about your coworker. And they might find you to be judgmental and unloving, and maybe you would. Order a beer or a glass of wine and you would drink it in front of your non-Christian coworker because you love them and you want to remove a negative perception that they have about Christianity that we're judgmental and angry people and you want to present this version of Christianity which is true, that we have freedom. Okay, let me ask you another question. How do you talk about your favorite sports teams? Okay, do you know this is true? I talked to a guy who's very involved in church planting in the Twin Cities. And he said that he believes there have been multiple churches that have failed in the Twin Cities because the pastor got up and said, I can't believe I'm in the Twin Cities. I've been a Packer fan my whole life. I love the Packers. Do you remember in the NFC Championship game and blah, 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 when we kicked your butts? And and people in the crowd are just like, are you kidding me? Really? Guys, it might sound so silly and so stupid, but if you elevate your preference for a certain sports team above your love for Jesus Christ, you will miss opportunities to share the gospel with other people. You will fail to listen to them. You will fail to appreciate them. You will fail to lay down your life for them. Okay, let's talk about politics. All right? Some of you have a preference for a certain political party that you have elevated to an allegiance. And to be honest, when you talk to other people, about politics, they feel like if they're part of the other party that they're not as good of a Christian as you are. And it's possible for us to elevate our preference for a certain political candidate above our allegiance to Jesus Christ and to alienate one another and to alienate people outside of this room in such a way that they are obscured from seeing the beauty of the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Okay, give you one more. Schooling preference. Right? There's some people really passionate, homeschool only, Christian school only, public school only. I've seen this over and over again in churches that I've been a part of. And people elevate their preference for a certain type of schooling, and in so doing, alienate their brothers and sisters in Christ. Guys, we have to have this category for preference. What God requires of us is that we find our identity and our freedom in Jesus Christ alone, that we are obedient to His moral law, and then that we love and serve the people around us instead of serving ourselves in the category of conscience and in the category of preference. Okay, let me give you a positive example of this, how this can deeply impact the people in your life. So just a couple months ago, as a staff team, we traveled out to San Francisco to go to a conference. And just before that conference, I had been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. So I was on a super restrictive diet. I had to order my own food. And it was really kind of a bummer going into the conference. Being on the road, being on a super restrictive diet is hard. And so I'm staying at this young man's house. He was in his early 20s, a member of the church. And he asked me, before I went to bed, as we were talking about this, catching up on life, he said, Well, what could you eat for breakfast? And I said to him, well, basically like vegetables and a sweet potato. And he's like, okay, really? All right. So the next morning, I woke up. I'd gone to bed about 10 o'clock at night. And this young guy had gone to a grocery store and had bought me and himself sweet potatoes for breakfast. And he's sitting at the table with me eating a sweet potato for breakfast. And he says, I'm doing this in solidarity with you, Drew. <laughs> and honestly, it was a funny moment. But as you can imagine, I started to get a little bit of emo- emotional. And I began to think, would I do that for someone else? You see, Sam had the freedom to eat whatever he wanted for breakfast. But because he loves me as his brother in Christ, he said, I will put aside my preferences and my freedoms in order to love and serve you. Guys, there are a thousand different applications to this message. There are so many people outside of this room who need to be touched by Jesus Christ through you. Think about Jesus. He put aside the glory of heaven, came to the earth, put aside all of his preferences, and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Could we put aside our sports allegiances, our political alliances? Could we put aside our preferences for certain beverages and certain foods? And could we become the type of people that love and serve those who are different for us? Here's the way Paul puts this charge in Galatians 5 verse 13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Guys, let's take a moment here as I pray to repent. Repent means to change your mind. It means to put aside your own agenda. It means to once again bow the knee before Jesus Christ. And it means to ask him to change you from the inside out. I'm sure there's something that came to your mind. Let's just take a a few seconds here and just process what God's doing in our own hearts. And then I'll pray after a little bit to close us. Father, we want to be marked by this self-sacrificing love. We want to be unselfish people who lay aside our own freedoms and our own preferences and humbly serve other people. But we admit that we stray from that path every single day. and Maybe there's people that are coming to our minds who we've hurt, who we've overlooked, who we've damaged by using our freedom, as Paul said, to indulge our own wants and preferences and flesh. And we just want to say we've been wrong. We have not loved people the way that you've called us to. And as we're broken right now, God, we just ask that you would come fill us with your spirit. That you would show us the opportunity and the beauty of living a life not for ourselves, but to love and serve the people around us. We pray this all in Jesus' name.